Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot, scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. I am really delighted to see the return to our show of Bruce Krolwich, who is the chief analyst of Grizzly Analytics. He's a veteran of this uh, uh, IoT indoor location space. Uh, Bruce, welcome back to the show. Great to be back on the show. Always great to talk to you, Steve. So I'm just going to do a bit of housekeeping. I don't normally do it, but I'm going to start off by thanking everyone that's watching the show. Um, most proper podcasters ask people to like, subscribe, share. I never do that, but I'm going to ask you to do that now. If you've been watching the show, we've had some amazing loyal listeners. I love bumping into people that have seen the show. Um, so please help to uh, spread the word. But enough of that. Let's get back to why you're here, Bruce. Um, you have just put out a very timely report on indoor location solutions for, for COVID safety. It seems like the virus has turned everyone's business upside down. And uh, the segment that we follow and analyze is nothing if, it, if not entrepreneurial. And so they're taking lemons, turning it into lemonade. And uh, I don't know what you think, uh, to what degree are people just kind of repackaging what they already had before to address this COVID safety need? Clearly some people are doing that. Somebody that has, a company that has a solution that can locate people whenever they walk around can take that same solution and repurpose it to track people's locations for COVID safety. But at the same time, there are some companies that are doing very innovative things, specifically with the aim of enforcing social distancing, for example. So there really are two primary applications for COVID. One is social distancing enforcement, where you want to make sure that two people aren't too close together. Mm -hmm. The other is contact tracing, which is going back after the fact and saying, if John Doe got infected, who was near him? 
And what's very interesting is that enforcing social distancing is a brand new area in the sense that measuring distance between two people never mattered before. Before, you, nobody would care if when I'm walking around a mall, I'm near my friend John. They care if I'm near the chips or the pretzels or the iPhones or the Android phones. Um, the proximity to things is important. Proximity to other people isn't. So all of a sudden, there are some new technologies coming out where if you can measure point to point between two people, all of a sudden that matters. And that's a, a really innovative aspect of COVID and COVID safety, which is coming to market. So all of this kind of indexes into this area of expertise that you've accumulated. And I've always appreciated that you look across different technologies, uh, uh, sound, uh, ultra wideband, BLE, um, uh, light. Uh, there's probably some others <laughs> that I haven't uh, thought of. So it is really interesting that these are being applied in a different way. Why are people not just using the famous APIs that uh, Apple and Google put out in, uh, uh, in, their, uh, in their operating systems? Uh, do you have a view on that? Well, for one thing, I'm a big fan of those APIs being out. There's a great example of companies doing something that people were a little bit concerned about a year ago, and all of a sudden, the fact that Apple and Google can do that is helping save lives. So I think that that's a great thing. What the solutions that are coming out, though, are taking that really one step further and are wrapping, lo looking at how can you, can you not just see where one person is, but how can you see the proximity to other people to enforce mm -hmm. social distancing? Or how can you store location data anonymously in some cases and then track it back if somebody turns out to be infected. And those are really further developments on top of what Apple and Google can provide. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I have a, maybe a slightly more jaundiced view of what they've done. I, on one hand, I feel like it's from the best of motives. And the fact that you see Apple and Google collaborating very effectively is tremendous. I think that they, they have uh, admirable motives to drive it. But what I've not seen is a lot of success in using those APIs. The, the UK, they had an app that was going to use that, and that seems to have uh, been a damp squib. It's, it's not really uh, appeared. Uh, and when I've tried to find apps that are actually using the API, um, they're very few and far between. I, I couldn't find any that will help us in California, which is, you know, the state that's bigger than most countries. Um, and, you know, what I am, if I'm even more uh, negative, uh, what I'm seeing is a, um, a level of design which was uh, really putting battery life before human life. Um, the, the, the system that they're using, they're using this region monitoring primitive to, which is kind of a very efficient way of saying roughly, am I close? Is my phone close to your phone? Um, as opposed to the ranging, which is very much more battery intensive. It kind of generally runs in the foreground. Um, and because it's constantly measuring received signal strength, it's going to chew up your battery somewhat. 
And so what we've got is a very efficient mechanism that tells you if you're roughly close to someone else. Uh, but knowing that you're roughly close to someone else is almost worse than useless uh, because it generates a huge number of false positives. Um, and uh, it's really hard to differentiate what is a, uh, a negative contact or not. And I think it could have been done differently. And I think they've really over-indexed on the privacy thing to the extent that they're not providing the data that is really needed by enterprises and governments to do the kind of work that needs to be done. That said, they've got a tremendously difficult job and they would have probably been absolutely skewered if they'd done what I'm advocating, which is put privacy to one side and sacrifice the battery. So I, I, I don't know if there's a good solution to that, but what it does tell me is that there's certainly a gap there that can be filled by other solutions. And I think that's what you've been analyzing in your report. You mentioned that part of what people are looking at is proximity to each other. And are you far enough away from each other? Um, are people looking at proximity, what you've touched I know that's, we're going off on a little bit of a tangent, but in the early days, there was a lot of concern about what people touched. And it seems like that's less of a concern now. Is, is that what you're seeing? Are people not really addressing that use case? I've seen the use case discussed in terms of using tra uh, tracking data to see where somebody has been, not only who they've been near, but where they've been. But I do agree that that's a much less discussed use case. My understanding, I'm not at all a doctor, I'm not a MD, obviously, but um, my understanding is that that's seen now is less of a concern than proximity to other people. Yes. So I have not seen much looking at that. Yeah, I think uh, we're aligned there. And you are a doctor, aren't you? You're just not a medical doctor. Yes, I corrected myself. <laughs> a PhD in computer science, but not a medical doctor. Okay. So we know what the apps are trying to do. Uh, you've looked at over 20 of them. Uh, how do you parse the difference between them? Well, there are some that are hardware-based, and that's simply a category in and of itself that are not based on smartphones, but are based on devices that are given out. They might, might be smartwatches that, are, that have a UWB chip. It might be tags that are worn. Mm -hmm. These are, many of them are based on UWB technology, which can get much more accurate measurement of distance, mm -hmm. which means you really can tell if somebody is six feet one inches or six feet five inches or, you know, five feet eight inches and put that six foot boundary in a much more, to the test in a much more accurate way. So those solutions can do a much more accurate job inherently. That's Put it, that's one category. The other category, obviously, is smartphone-based solutions where you have opt-in by somebody installing an app, mm -hmm. either for a site or a general uh, COVID safety kind of app. And then you can both monitor locations if you have the right infrastructure, and we'll get to that in a minute, um, and can measure less accurately, but hopefully still sufficiently accurately, the distance between two people running the app. So it seems like you have device-based systems that are completely controlled by the hardware that's given to the employee. Then you have people having to kind of bring your own device and then they load this app on. And then within that, what I'm hearing is there's two categories, which is 
one set of use cases where two phones are talking to each other and the other one is where the phone is talking to some kind of infrastructure. Is that a fair summary of what you said? Yes, that's exactly right. Basically the infrastructure, if you want to know where somebody is, I'm standing at this point in space, generally you need some infrastructure around. You have to install beacons or locator devices. If you don't want to do that, which some people don't, then you can still measure proximity between different devices. You just don't know exactly where they are. You know they're this far apart from each other, but you don't know exactly where they are. And is the phone-to-phone um, kind of application mainly using Bluetooth to, to, to see if these things are Yes, yes. Bluetooth about, is the most common. Bluetooth is the most common. And what about the phone-to-infrastructure? Is uh, What technologies are they using? Generally, also Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Um, okay. You know, as, as you know, those are basically the radio technologies that phones have built in um, as of now. There are okay. some solutions that are trying to use sound waves, which is a different technology, which people are saying ultrasonic or subsonic sound, which has been around for a while, and there are some companies that are getting very good results with it. And that's, but that's another, another option there. Yeah, I'm interested in your view of that, uh, those uh, uh, audio-based uh, approaches. We actually have a show that's coming up where I'm going to be interviewing uh, um, one of the vendors in that space. And I, I just haven't seen those solutions widely deployed, and I don't really understand why. Uh, Basically, there's a lot of challenges involved in getting it to really work very accurately in the real world. To work in a lab is not so hard to work when you've got noise and you've got a lot of different kinds of noise in a background, in a, in a mall or in a factory, are the two, two easy examples, then you have to be able to measure the subsonic or ultrasonic sound signals and differentiate them. You have to tell, you know, am I near this door or that door or whatever, you're, whatever uh, sound emitter you're near. And you have to do so and ignore all the babies crying and people yelling and cars drive, you know, vehicles driving or whatever else. So it's a big challenge. On the other hand, if, when it can work, I've seen some very good accuracy coming out of it. And it's also cheaper because phones are made to be hearing sound and have microphones that take much less battery than radio transmitters and receivers. Uh, what are you saying in terms of accuracy uh, across these solutions and how important is accuracy? Accuracy is obviously important, and I hesitate to comment on accuracy in the real details until I actually see it, because as I said, what happens in a lab and what happens in the real world are often very different. But the UWB approaches can do with the hardware can clearly get very high accuracy. UWB was designed from the ground up for accuracy and measurement, and they can get you down to 15, 20 centimeters of accuracy which is very good for this or other purposes. When you're talking about Bluetooth, the accuracy in general is not as good, but companies are, doing a, are putting a lot of effort into identifying how can you tell when someone is two meters or six feet apart, which is the COVID requirement. And many companies are saying that they have done that particular task not exactly where are you, but how far are two devices apart and are they within or outside of six feet? 
And there are a number of companies saying they have that done very accurately. Hmm. And what are the trade-offs? So it seems like everyone should be using these ultra-wideband devices. Why? Uh, but uh, I'm not sensing they have total domination, uh, despite the fact that they're more accurate. They're very accurate, but it means giving a tag or a device to everybody that you want to locate. So yeah. if you want to ensure safety in a shopping mall, it's a big task to give out a wearable device or a tag to everybody coming in and then collect them, more importantly, as they walk out. It would be a huge task. And, and if you can do that using smartphones with an app that people opt into and then you avoid, the, you, you solve the privacy question, or in some cases, you can have the network, the access points themselves monitor locations of every device in a, in a site, then you can cover everybody with a smartphone, which is just about everybody these days, without a problem. So yeah. that's, the, that's the clear trade-off. And, and what about cost and battery life? Are they, um, uh, you know, in the old days, ultra-wideband was uh, uh, tremendously battery-hungry and uh, tremendously expensive. Has that changed? They've got the battery life, they've got it down some, they've got the, the battery usage down in UWB chips nowadays, but you clearly have to recharge the devices as you, as you cycle them through a day. The, hope is, the claim is being made that the devices can last an entire day. And if they can do that, then they can be recharged at night or they can be charged between use. Whereas with the Bluetooth devices, the, the life is longer, I'm assuming. Life is much longer, and all of us who carry smartphones around are used to our batteries going down anyway. So uh, I think that the, the use of battery for one of these apps is no more than the use of battery from a lot of other apps, from using Google Maps or Waze or the use of, you know, Facebook also. You know, a lot of different apps do, do a lot of things that can take battery life, and um, we're used to it, for better or worse. And then, um, are you, uh, did you get a chance to look into the management of the privacy issues? What are the privacy issues uh, with these different approaches? The privacy issues are obviously huge. If people, if you want to be able to do contact tracing, to take the extreme example, and you know, John Doe gets infected, who was John Doe close to? Then you have to know, know that John, where John Doe was, and that's privacy invasive. So either people are going to be willing to opt in and trust the app or the company or the government who is maintaining this data for the sake of COVID safety, or people aren't. And then contact tracing will be much harder. It will have to be much more limited. And that's a health versus privacy trade-off that I think any two people will disagree on. Yeah. Um, per personally, I have no problem with my location being monitored by a government or a specific app that's for this purpose. After all, Google and Apple have a lot of location history data as well. And most people trust them with it because the benefits outweigh the concerns. In the case of COVID safety, I personally think the benefits way outweigh the concerns. But many yeah, people I, disagree. I, I agree. It's amazing how much disagreement there is uh, on, on this. It's very unfortunate, but uh, hopefully uh, uh, cooler minds will uh, prevail. So um, 
we're not naming names here because we want people to actually invest in your report. You've gone to the trouble of doing this analysis, but do you have any, uh, you know, favorite approaches that you've seen? Are there particular kinds of implementations that you looked at and you said, oh, these, uh, this is a very strong offering. Or there are other offerings that you looked at and said, oh, these guys were just panicking. Uh, they've, uh, they, they kind of, it's a, a knee-jerk reaction and they're just trying to show their board that they're doing something that's relevant to the, 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 the times. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Well, as I mentioned before, the, the most innovative kind of approach, which was not being done before COVID, is proximity between two people. And... That appeals to me for a number of reasons. One is it's new. Before COVID, before social, the concept of social distancing was on all of our minds, you would never care to be monitoring how far apart two people are. So it, it appeals to me because it's definitely built for this purpose and it's custom made for a need. It also can be privacy friendly if we can detect and, and issue an alert when two people are close, but not track the locations when they're further apart. And that's uh, for those people, unlike me, who are more concerned about privacy, that's a very privacy friendly approach. The other approach that appeals to me a lot is a rarer approach, more rare approach, and that is having network devices in your access points or in the network that are tracking to a lesser degree the locations of every Wi-Fi enabled device in the area. And this is obviously much better for COVID safety because it can track everybody. On the other hand, you, have, you, you cannot necessarily track people's identities for contact tracing because of an on, an, uh, privacy issues and technical limitations of tracking identities without opt-in. There are technical issues also, not just the legal issues. But if you can do that, if you can, you know, alert a, a store manager and say, send a guard over to this part of the mall because there are people there that are too close. We don't know who they are necessarily and we're not tracking them, but there are too many people over there. Go over there and break people up. 
then I think the kinds of things you can do, even without opting into an app, really can ensure safety in a much better way. I, I guess the challenge there is like my wife and I go shopping together less than we used to, <laughs> but it's okay for us to be close together, uh, but uh, maybe not okay for me to be close to an old lady who's uh, doing a shopping run that I don't know. And I don't know how you differentiate between those. I guess what you do is you can spot hotspots, can't you? You can say there's large clusters of people. Uh, maybe that's yes. the solution. That's the main thing being done. I could speculate a bit and, and think that malls could track, for example, people that come in separately, whether they're too close, but that also wouldn't be 100%. Yeah. In the end, we're tracking hotspots that need to be monitored or need to be checked, and nothing's gonna be 100%. Yeah, I, I like the pragmatism. I like the use of existing infrastructure. How accurate can these access point-based systems be? Is that not a bit of a trade-off? That's definitely a trade-off. They can be accurate to within a few meters, but they cannot necessarily check, are you six feet or two meters apart or are you not? Very, very reliably. But if they can be accurate to within a few meters, and as you said, you're looking for hotspots, then if you find five people that appear to be within the same area, plus or minus a couple of meters, you could at least send out a warning or have a guard walk over or whatever, and it would be enough for that use case. Well, it's a fascinating area. I, um, when the dust settles, it'll be really interesting to see who's been successful and who hasn't. It's very hard to tell. You know, you, we do these technical analyses and uh, sometimes success is not just based on the technology. But uh, uh, one of the things that just from talking to you is really clear is there isn't one solution for everyone. And so people need to understand right. the dimensions. You've outlined a lot of them. They're in the in the report. So that's very, uh, very useful. How can people get this report? They can go to grizzlyanalytics.com, one word, and they can order it from there. They can click on a link for this report, order it straight away, have it right away. Very good. And it's like 99 bucks or something. So yes, yes. This is cheaply thing. priced because this is the kind of thing I think will appeal to a lot of people and I want to get it out there very easily. Yeah. And I think it's great. Uh, that A, it can help save lives, and also uh, I think it can be an accelerator for a lot of these technologies that will have business benefits after this pandemic uh, finally subsides. Before you go, I do want to ask you about one thing that happened since we last spoke, two, over two years ago. Um, you've been a fan of ultra-wideband, I think it's true to say, and uh, DecaWave have been the leading uh, provider of the chips that are in many, many solutions. And DecaWave got bought. You did a report on it. Uh, can you just tell us a bit more about what happened and what the implications are? Sure. I think the implications are potentially huge. Bottom line is that Apple has a way of leapfrogging technologies into use. And they decided they were going to have UWB chips in the latest generation of iPhones. And they didn't use DecaWave chips actually initially, but the company Corvo decided they were going to acquire DecaWave and put, they are a leading supplier of chips to Apple and to a lot of other companies. Um, and DecaWave's chip would be very appropriate for other kinds of devices, either other phones, 
or because of the size differences and power differences of DecaWave's chip, these could go into Apple Watches or other smartwatches or other IoT devices. So instead of only measuring using UWB in phones, all of a sudden, if the same technology is available in smartwatches, wearable devices, cameras, uh, gimbals, anything else you want to put out there, then the, then the applicability becomes much, much greater. Very good. Yeah, it's uh, incredible how uh, Apple can uh, act as this uh, catalyst and make opportunities for, for other people. So have you seen any results uh, of that acquisition? Sometimes these things can be very disruptive unintentionally so. Yes, no, no, I have, I have not yet. Um, but I think that the potential is very big that w w when you think about you, it's actually very interesting when you talk about the, this in conjunction with discussion about the Corona and the COVID um, uh, social distancing, that when people, when Apple came out with UWB and phones, there was a lot of speculation, what would it be used for? because unless there are locator devices, infrastructure, as we said before, on the walls, which there may be soon, then UWB can measure distance between devices, but not necessarily exact location as you're walking around. But all of a sudden with COVID awareness and the need for social distancing, distance between devices, as we said a minute ago, all of a sudden has a lot of value. So if, iPhones can now have distance measured much more accurately using, BL, using um, UWB than could be done using Bluetooth. And if that evolves and other phone makers follow Apple's lead and incorporate UWB into those phones, then all of a sudden distance measurement between devices, which we now care about even if we didn't six months ago, all of a sudden becomes very valuable and much more important. Do you think Apple is likely to leave that UWB radio on all the time? Because one thing having the radio there is another thing having the operating system actually using it. And the nice thing about Bluetooth is iOS and Android are constantly referring to the Bluetooth radio. They're looking for to see whether you've got a, uh, a smartphone near a, a stereo or a car radio or uh, you've just put a Bluetooth watch on. So. There's no, even Tim Cook cannot ignore uh, Bluetooth. He couldn't have an executive decision <laughs> and tell the OS guys that they're not going to do it. But, you know, am I really going to be powering up the uh, UWB radio all the time? I don't think so. This is obviously all very speculative and can change, especially as UWB rolls out to other devices. But my understanding is that people watching Apple APIs are saying that there is a turn off and turn off API functionality that is is hinted to at least in Apple's uh, releases. And are you seeing any evidence of uh, uh, UWB being put into the bill of materials of these other high volume infrastructure devices? I'm thinking, uh, obviously, I, I have an axe to grind here. I work for a Bluetooth company, and I, I, I love ultra wideband, so I like them both. But I think it's you know the right tool for the right job. And it seems like what Bluetooth has on its side is this ubiquity. Uh, and um, I was really surprised when Bluetooth started appearing in Wi-Fi access points. But it's now, I would say, ubiquitous. It's in all of the Meraki's. It's in uh, like three years of uh, HP Aruba 
uh, access points uh, have got uh, Bluetooth uh, in and uh, you look at things like Mist, this kind of fighter contender that's really getting market share and they have not just, uh, you know, not just a regular Bluetooth uh, antenna, they've got segmented antennas and multiple radios and so forth. How long is it going to take for ultra wideband to be in that kind of infrastructure? I think it might take time simply because rolling out anything new takes time. But I do, I have heard that there's a lot of discussion happening with network access point providers, with UWB folks. And I think the fact that Apple is going with UWB and Corvo bought DecoWave and is clearly promoting that UWB to their, to, to the people that they supply chips to is a good sign that that will be going forward. Obviously I don't, there's not, but nothing is out yet. So I don't, I can't say any more than that. It is interesting. And it's clear to me that we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, what can you use ultra wideband for now? It's uh, you know, you can, I can point my phone at your phone and we can exchange our, our contacts. I don't even know how many people really pay attention to those extra dots that are appearing when you, uh, do that. So I think we're all waiting for the um, UWB tags to come out from Apple. Do you think that's real? Do you think there's going to be an ultra wideband uh, tracking tag from them? I think so. Obviously, I, the Apple is uh, very secretive, and I, I don't like to speculate about Apple because there's no way to, to know. Right? They're a very secretive company. But I, I do think that if they don't come out with it, somebody else will because they're putting the chips in the phones. One thing which Apple does is they very often put out a technology, similar to how when they innovated the App Store. They put out a technology or a capability and then leave it to third parties to fill in the gaps. So even if they don't come out with the tags, I think somebody else will. And I think we really are, the location space has been ready to go and getting out there for a while, but UWB and iPhones and the COVID use cases that we're seeing right now, it really feels like a tipping point coming right now where the technologies are in place, the use cases are getting more serious. And I think it's, I think we're going to see a lot of action in the upcoming six months. I think the only way you can sensibly plan is to think of scenarios uh, because no one knows for sure what's going to happen. And, and even if you worked at Apple, sometimes the people in Apple don't know what's going to happen. They uh, seem to divide it up like cells where one group doesn't talk to another. Um, but I, uh, you know, my, one of my favorite scenarios is that there's an Apple tag that will actually be a hybrid. It'll have both UWB and Bluetooth in. And the reason that that makes sense to me is Bluetooth is always on. It's always going to always be on. And, and uh, phone makers hate spending power on anything that's absolutely essential because that's why they lose users. You know, you move, if you suddenly get convinced that Android has better battery life than uh, iOS, you might actually make that shift. And so they're loathe to give up battery life. So I think what makes sense to me is a tag that has a very low cost uh, Bluetooth low energy chip and maybe one of these Corvo DecoWave chips in. And I sense from my phone that I'm kind of near this tag and that causes me to actually turn on the ultra wideband. And then when it matters, I can get that precision. And then it seems to me you have kind of the best of both worlds. You have always on, uh, you have very 
battery efficient uh, uh, usage that's uh, evolved over many years and you get the accuracy that comes with ultra wideband. I happen to think you're right. We've seen that kind of approach being taken by the, the companies working in the lighting space. There's several companies working, you alluded to it before, with uh, using LED lights with the, a phone's camera to track the location of the phone as it moves around from, you know, between different light, light bulbs, literally. And one thing which those companies are doing is incorporating Bluetooth also so that you can use Bluetooth when a phone's in a pocket or when you're not needing the accuracy. And when you want the accuracy and it's worth powering on the camera and sensing the light, the, the LED light, uh, the VLC, the encoded signals inside the lights, then you power that up. So to take the same approach with UWB makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I love that uh, visual light communication hybrid approach because uh, VLC is so cool. You can not just get location, but orientation, which way am I pointing the phone? But let's face it, even though we use our phones a lot, the majority of the time they're in your pocket. How do you get it out of right. the pocket? Well, you ping something on someone's watch or your, literally your phone goes ping because it's seen a beacon. Then you get the app in the foreground. Then you have the phone out of the pocket and pointing in the right direction. I'd love to see more of that. I think that's a really ingenious combination that you are alluding to. Well, this has been excellent. Uh, it's, uh, uh, Bruce, it's uh, an honor to have you on the show. Uh, as I think I said last time, I, when I was writing the uh, Beacon Technology, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System, I did a lot of reading of your stuff to uh, try and get smarter about this space. So uh, I uh, always get a lot out of these conversations. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. I always love listening to your show, so I'm always happy to be on it. We have this crazy uh, premise, which you're headed off to Mars, and you have to choose three songs uh, to listen to on the uh, on the uh, on the way to Mars. Um, are you uh, are you very musical? Do you enjoy music or? I'm actually not very musical, but I definitely could say that if I was headed to Mars and had to pick three songs, none of them would have been recorded after 1980. Um, <laughs> you know, I was very young at the time, but, but um, if I had to pick three songs, they would most likely all be Grateful Dead, maybe some Pink Floyd or, or, uh, or other things from that time period. Interesting. But, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm trying to break out of the 80s myself, but it's, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. There's all sorts of reasons. So I, I didn't put you down for Grateful Dead, though. Did you, did you see them in concert? Or? I, I, many years ago, probably going, going on 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, I had a phase of time that during grad school that I went to a fair number of concerts in the Northeast and then stopped, but I still like the music. All right. Northeast. I, I never really had the hair, though. I was going to say, yeah. you're not looking very Jerry Garcia then. No, no. <laughs> northeast of, uh, of the United States or northeast yes. of? Yes. yes. Okay, right, yes. right. I was in uh, college. I, I grew up in D.C., was in college in Pittsburgh, and then started grad school in New Haven, Connecticut. So oh. that was during that time period is when I was going to see Grateful Dead shows in the area. Um, and I still, still like the music, but stopped after a couple of years. And if you had to pick one song from the Grateful Dead, what would it be? 
had to pick one song on a whole trip to Mars. I'd be hearing it an awful lot of times, I guess. Probably Touch of Grey. Okay, very cool. And uh, what about Pink Floyd? What would you choose from there? We, we, uh, we, uh, we bought a, a turntable uh, at the Willier office. And so every time something ah. good happens, we celebrate, everyone gets to choose some vinyl. And we've got two uh, Pink Floyd albums here. So uh, okay. I wish you were here and uh, The Wall, I think. Uh, so what would you ah. be listening to? Probably Dark Side of the Moon, something off Dark oh. Side of the Moon. Love that album too. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.